0: If you'll please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're moving right along and moving through the Sermon on the Mount, looking at what it means for kingdom living. And this morning we will be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Jesus continuing to teach his disciples. This is God's holy and authoritative word to us. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. you will never get out until you have paid the last penny let's pray father we thank you for your word we thank you for your word that teaches us that instructs our hearts lord this is not a passage we would turn to this morning for encouragement but lord it is your word and you have encouragement you have teaching here for us your disciples your people So we pray you would send your Holy Spirit to instruct our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was a boy growing up in a household full of boys, it was lots of fun. We got into lots of trouble. Uh, You could only imagine the the trouble and the messes that we would make in our home full of five boys, five sons growing up. And I can distinctly remember my parents finding uh, a mess or finding some chore left undone or finding something that wasn't put back which happened every day and the question would come okay who who did this who forgot to do this who left this undone and then would become then would come the most notorious answer in my house not me <laughs> i didn't do it <laughs> it was almost like we rehearsed to say that over and over and over And then my dad would reply, not me does not live here. (laughs) But when it comes to the the laws and when it comes to the commands of God, we're quick to look at them and to to see if we've broken any of these commands on a a superficial level. And after we just superficially examine the commands of God and look at our lives, we quickly and proudly say, well, well, I've kept all those commands. I must be doing okay. But in our passage this morning, Jesus is specifically dealing with the sixth commandment that you may be familiar with where God says in the Ten Commandments, the sixth one, do not murder or you shall not murder. And we look at this and we say, oh, that's an easy one to keep. We're quick to say, not me. I haven't broken this commandment. But before we say, not me, we need to look further and deeper here at Jesus' teaching to our hearts on the Sixth Commandment. So here in this passage, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26, we, we have the first of six examples or six illustrations where our Lord Jesus is more fully explaining what he's already taught to us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. If you look there, Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And Jesus has given an example of this, how he's come to fulfill the law and take it to greater lengths. So Jesus is giving his disciples further teaching, further examples, and showing how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it magnifies the law gives the law of God greater authority. So Jesus is is instructing his followers that the law instructs our hearts. And the law guides us on the path of righteousness. Jesus cares about the law. Jesus teaches us that the law is important in the Christian life. And here he's going to show us that there's more to the commandments of God. There's more to the law of God than meets the eye. There's more than we just superficially see to God's law at first. Because as he taught us last week, the believer in Christ needs the law. God uses the law, he uses his commandments to help us grow. The law of God is, is heart searching. And Jesus' application here is going to search our hearts and, Lord willing, change our hearts. So rather than abolishing or disregarding the law, Jesus comes now to give it fuller meaning. Fuller meaning. There's more than just do not murder here. There's more than just taking someone's life. And that's crucial for us today. For disciples of Jesus Christ today, Understanding the role of the law in the Christian life is one of the most crucial issues of our time. And as I quoted last week from Pastor J.C. Ryle, who said this, The law of the Ten Commandments is God's eternal measure of right and wrong. By it is the knowledge of sin. By it the Spirit shows men their need of Christ and drives them to Him. Christ refers his people to the law as their rule and guide for holy living. In its right place, it is just as important as the glorious gospel. It cannot save us. We cannot be justified by it. But never, never let us despise it. The law is important in the Christian life. So as we come now to this passage, Jesus Means to teach us how specifically we are to love the law and to keep the law, specifically the sixth commandment. And so I want us to examine three different areas of Jesus' teaching here on the sixth sixth commandment. The first is the meaning of the sixth commandment according to the religious leaders, the second is the meaning of the sixth commandment according to Jesus. And the third, we'll look at the application, Jesus' application of the Sixth Commandment to our lives. So look, with we'll me there in verse 21 again. The meaning of the Sixth Commandment according to the religious leaders. Look at what Jesus says in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. At first look, we read that and we think, well, that looks just like Scripture because it is. This is a saying that Jesus said was said of old where the religious leaders really took two commandments and smashed them together. They took the Exodus chapter 20 verse 13, the sixth commandment in the listing of the Ten Commandments. And then another instruction from the law of God in Numbers chapter 35 which speaks of capital punishment or the death sentence for murder. And so these were combined together. Here we see... The justification for if you murder someone, there will be judgment. There will be a capital punishment. But it's very interesting to see how Jesus introduces this statement that was said of old. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old. This is rather different from other places where Jesus Jesus quotes Scripture, specifically Old Testament Scripture. And as you've read the Gospels before, you may have noticed where Jesus normally introduces Old Testament Scripture by saying it is written. And then he, word for word, will quote a verse in the Bible from the Old Testament. Here he says something quite different than it is written. And this is an important distinction to notice here that Jesus uses because he is not referring to the biblical text of scripture but rather when he says you have heard it said of old he's actually referring to the teaching of the rabbis he's referring to the teaching of the, the scribes or the the pharisees so when it says you've heard it said of old he's not necessarily quoting scripture he's quoting what the rabbis what the jewish leaders the religious leaders would teach Why did Jesus do that here? Why is he making this distinction by saying, you've heard it said of of old? Well, at some point in the history of God's people, specifically in the history of the Jews, the teaching of the rabbis, which rabbis were often Pharisees and scribes, not always, but often, the teaching of the, the rabbis became superior to the teaching of the Scriptures. So the way that you lived out religious life and you, you studied theology, it was really based upon the, the teaching of whatever the rabbis said instead of what Scripture actually taught. And this was and is continues to be one of the, the greatest errors in Jewish thought and Jewish belief. If you were to go up to a Jewish friend of yours now and wanted to point him to the Old Testament to show him that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, you wouldn't get very far with them because a, a, a devout Jewish believer who would study theology, who would study religion would go to the rabbis, not to the scriptures. So here, though, Jesus is quoting the rabbis, but we shouldn't be surprised here that what Jesus quotes here that was said of old does contain elements of Scripture. It does contain portions of Scripture. But Jesus is making the point here that their understanding, the rabbis, their understanding of the sixth commandment, it doesn't go far enough. The teaching of the Pharisees was easy to obey superficially, Because if you didn't just take out your gun or your knife or your hatchet or whatever and murder someone, then you were keeping it. And everyone could go on their way. They like to... The Pharisees like to make it real simple. And real superficial so they could say, hey, I've kept this. Not me. I didn't do that. But we do the same thing. We take the law... We take the commands of God and we reduce them to a nice and tidy little restriction that we know that we can keep and we never worry to deal with our own hearts in the matter. The scribes and the Pharisees were trying to apply the sixth commandment here to the act of murder, actually taking someone's life. But Jesus goes further Jesus has more application here for the believer. And that's the second thing we'll look at in this passage in verse 22. Let's look at the meaning of the sixth commandment according to Jesus. Look at what he says there. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Again, rather than doing away with the law of God, Jesus gives a heart-searching exposition of the sixth commandment. Rather than just a strict literal interpretation of the commandments, Jesus wants his disciples to go further. Because if we insist on interpreting the commands on a literal basis only, then we leave a lot of room for ungodly behavior. And we'll talk about some of that ungodly behavior here in a moment. But that's the danger we have to avoid here. Just We can't make it nice and tidy little restriction because if we do that, we'll leave all kinds of room for other sin to come in when the Bible has much more to say about murder. Specifically, Jesus here says anger. So Jesus is now laying down authoritatively how this command of God is to be understood. And that is why he says in verse 22, But I say to you, Jesus, being God, being the Son of God, the King, the Messiah, the ruler of heaven and earth, he can now issue a a command with great authority and rank because of who he is. And he is not replacing the law, but he's showing how the law is to be properly understood. Yes, murder, taking someone's life, killing someone is unlawful. It is wrong. It is a serious violation of God's law. We are not to murder. But, Jesus says here, so is anger. So is sinful rage. So is lashing out at someone because you're irritable. To Jesus, he teaches here that this type of violation is a type of murder. It's serious. And he gives examples here. Insulting your brother or your sister in Christ with sinful anger. Using terms like, some of your Bibles may say, Rika, or you fool, or something like that. These expressions of contempt that are used by angry people, or calling someone a fool, is another angry, critical utterance that we could use against someone. And If you're angry enough to use these terms, if you're angry enough to utter these words of contempt, Jesus says you're liable to the fire of hell. I'm not comfortable with this. I don't like this. Jesus is, is taking this anger thing way too far, isn't he? Because I get angry and you get angry. But this is a serious matter in God's sight. Sinful anger, lashing out rage. The Apostle James helps us here in James 1, 19 and 20. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So what is Jesus' meaning of the sixth commandment? What is he saying here? Even sinful anger, even losing your temper, hate towards your brother and sister in Christ, character assassination of those whom you know and are affiliated with, all of these are violations of the sixth commandment. Animosity, harboring a grudge, gossiping about someone, showing spite or hateful jealousy toward others is a form of murder. This is not the way of kingdom living. And this is not the words that we wanted Jesus to hear because we want to be like the Pharisees. We want to keep it nice and tidy and simple and say that we have not murdered. But we can't say, not me. Because when it comes to examining our hearts against the law of God, we must go further. Because anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Jesus is not placing these various violations of the Sixth Commandment on a scale. He's not saying that gossiping about someone is literally as bad as murdering someone out of anger. That's not what he's saying. But Jesus is instructing his disciples. He's trying to make a point here that our sin in relation to the Sixth Commandment is far more serious than most of us assume. And we need to recognize this, that our sinful anger is a serious matter in God's sight. So what do we do? Let's look at the third thing here in this passage in verses 23 through 26, as we see how Jesus applies the sixth commandment to kingdom living. So in these remaining verses, Jesus shows us what the Christian example is to be. How is the Christian to respond in the place of anger or animosity toward others? So Jesus is going to show us what real sanctification looks like. He's going to show us what kingdom living looks like in the Christian life. It's not just putting off sin. It's not just saying, don't murder, don't get angry. It's putting on righteousness. It's doing something that God calls holy and good and righteous. So what is the righteousness that we're to put on? We put off anger, so what do we put on? What is the righteousness that God requires here? And this teaching of Jesus is reconciliation. Rather than anger and hate toward others, we are to engage in the ministry of reconciliation. I love it how jesus doesn't say don't be angry stop it <laughs> he doesn't say that he says you're gonna get angry you're gonna lash out in sinful rage so what do you do how do you pursue the righteousness that god requires Well, you pursue reconciliation sinclair ferguson says this he says the principle is clear Right relationships with others are part of the meaning of the commandment not to murder. Jesus wants us to pursue righteous relationships, a right relationship with others. And that's part of the meaning here of the sixth commandment, do not murder. And so he gives a couple of illustrations here, a couple of examples of how vital it is to love our neighbor and to be in right relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, by these two examples, Jesus is not saying, don't ever be angry. or Don't ever get mad at anyone. Jesus is illustrating the principle that sinful anger, sinful rage, sinful hate is not the righteousness that God requires. Rather, kingdom living is about reconciliation. What is reconciliation? It's restoring friendships and relationships. That's what kingdom living is all about. That's what reconciliation is all about. Seeking to restore right relationships and friendships. So in the kingdom of God, reconciliation, it's it's paramount. It's it's one of the most important things. It's at the heart of the very gospel. And we make it important in our lives by removing any obstacles in our lives and our hearts that could possibly create animosity between our neighbor because as we we know, as we all know, animosity, those strong feelings of hate that we have at times, it's, it's like a time bomb, isn't it? And if we keep harboring those feelings of hate and anger and rage and animosity, then that bomb will go off. And the blast radius of that bomb will go out and it will affect all of our relationships. It will bring us out of accord with our Lord and God and out of accord with our neighbor. So, Jesus says, like the one in this passage who's going to offer their gift at the altar as an act of worship. It is important that you enact reconciliation. that That you drop what you're doing, Jesus says, and first be reconciled. Then come and finish your offering. Reconciliation is so important that we must seek it immediately, urgently. It's necessary. So what Jesus is saying here is that as much as possible, remove any basis for anger and frustrations in your relationships before anger festers, before it grows, and before it leads to a breakdown of any relationship that is strained. And we know this by experience, right? The more angry and frustrated we get with somebody, it doesn't just go away. It gets worse the longer that we leave it there, the longer that we do not let it go unnoticed or undealt with. Let me give an aside here. To verse 23 and 24 about some wrong teaching that i've heard on these verses and some wrong teaching unfortunately that i believed early in my christian life and we have here an example jesus gives of an old testament jewish believer going to worship yahweh god by an offering by a sacrificial offering a, a an animal. But some have wrongly applied this example and say that Jesus is teaching that if you have anger in your heart towards someone or if you have some animosity in your life right now, then you should not take communion until you resolve, resolve that relationship. I've heard that taught. I've heard that says don't come take supper unless you have righted every relationship in your life, well, then I'm disqualified. (laughs) Every single time. And that is not what communion is about. That's not what Jesus is referring to here. Communion is a means of grace. Communion is a means of showing us our need of Christ. Christ in a means of showing us the necessity of reconciliation because God has reconciled himself to us in Jesus Christ. So please don't misapply this teaching here. Please don't ever hear from this pulpit that you need to stop taking communion. The only time that you are to stop taking communion is if, one, you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ and been admitted to the table by the elders, Or if you are under some discipline and the elders have told you, please do not take communion. Please hear me on that. Please don't just stop unless you've been told to stop. It is a means of grace. Christ used it to spiritually nourish us and to show us our need of him and to show us he has has reconciled us. And so we need to go and be reconciled to others. Reconciliation is not only a necessary application of understanding Jesus' teaching here, but it's to be our urgent response toward others. That's why Jesus says in verse 25, come to terms quickly. Reconciliation is an urgent matter. It must be done here and now. And no doubt, in many of your circumstances, with your co-workers, with your neighbors, with your friends, with your kids, with your spouse, reconciliation will be costly to you. It will humble you. But the scripture says we must not let the sun go down on our anger. We must not give the devil a foothold to let that anger grow and fester And even put ourselves in a position, Jesus says, that if you let it grow and fester and do not come to terms and do not reconcile with one another, you may find yourself in prison and not able to get out until the last penny is paid. That's scary to me. And this this teaching is not just for adults. Children, teenagers, this is for you too. Jesus has a word for you to hear. How in your life, how in your heart have you had feelings of anger and hate toward a friend or maybe even toward your parent or toward a teacher? I know no one here gets mad at teachers, right? Jesus wants you to deal with it. Jesus wants you to deal with the anger in your heart. And the way you deal with it is you see the gospel. You see how God has reconciled himself to us. And then you go to others and say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Because that's what this teaching teaches us most of all. Jesus is showing that our greatest need is to be reconciled to God. Who could possibly keep this commandment now that we've looked at what Jesus has taught us? Who could possibly say that I have never broke this commandment as Jesus applies it here? No one. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all had anger and hate and murderous hearts. So what's the remedy? What do we do when we realize that we've been sinfully anger, angered, when we have harbored grudges, when we have seen that we have willfully broken this commandment as Jesus applies it here? What do we do? We run to the gospel. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we close. We run to the gospel. In Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, the Apostle Paul further elaborates this reconciliation that we are to live by. Second Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. behalf of christ be reconciled to god god has reconciled himself to us in jesus christ and that is what this table means and therefore let us be reconciled to one another let's pray Father, we see here very clearly that your word goes much deeper, that we can apply it much fuller fuller than, than we normally would. Lord, we, we confess to you that we would like to just stand here and be self-righteous and say we've never murdered. That is not what your word teaches us we've seen very clearly that we've had murder in our hearts by the sinful anger and rage that we've held there. We pray by your spirit that you would change us and show us our need of the gospel, our need to see how your anger and your wrath has been put aside because Jesus reconciled us to you. And so, Lord, therefore, give us the strength. Help us by your Holy Spirit to be reconciled to others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.